I am the resurrection and the life. John 11, we begin at verse 1. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. The sisters therefore sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples therefore said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus therefore said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. Let us go to him. Thomas therefore, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that is, he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled and said, Where have you laid him? 
They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, Behold how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me, and I know, and I knew that you hear me always. Because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many, therefore, of the Jews who had come to Mary and beheld what he had done, believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll grant to us the faith that we read about here, the faith to believe in Christ, the Christ of the Old Testament, and the Christ who is the resurrection and the life, and the Christ who has power over death. Not only Lazarus' death, but, only, but also our death. Grant us this faith. May our faith increase, and may you be pleased to work in us and glorify your name. In Christ. Amen. We are now in this portion where Christ declares of himself that he is the resurrection and the life in verse 25, 11, 25. What we saw last time in our study of this chapter in verses 1 to 16, leading up to our passage today, had to do with Lazarus being sick. And Jesus knew Lazarus was sick with a sickness unto death and that Lazarus would die. Jesus knew this, yet he delayed his departure to visit Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He delayed it on purpose to test the people and to increase their faith, and also to perform this miracle of raising Lazarus up from the dead right before his very own resurrection from the dead, Jesus' own resurrection. This is the last of the miracles here in the book of John, the last of the great miracles here in the book of John. Not that nothing absolutely happened after this because uh, a sort of a, uh, well, a minor miracle happened in John 18 when Jesus said, I am, the soldiers fell backwards. So that was also a miracle in a sense. But in terms of the great miracles recorded in the book of John, this is the last of them. And it is a perfect one because it happened shortly before Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. This one of raising Lazarus up. Then, meantime, 
between Lazarus' sickness and his own resurrection, Lazarus' resurrection, Jesus delays this. Even though Jesus loves them, he delays the miracle. He delays the blessing. And John makes a point to tell us by the word of the Lord that Jesus did love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He truly did. Even the Jews knew that, that he truly loved them. So his delay is not to be taken as him being unloving. And our lesson was that just because Christ delays in delivering us from our hardships does not mean he doesn't love us. It doesn't mean he hates us if he delays in our deliverance. And sometimes we may never even have a deliverance in this life. Just like Paul the Apostle had his thorn in the flesh. As far as we know, until he died. And there are other incidents like that in Scripture. So the absence, the immediate uh, uh, absence of the love of God evident in our life doesn't mean he ultimately does not love us. We can't conclude that way. We ought to stay faithful to him even until death, as Thomas mentioned in verse 16. But meantime, all of the things that happen to us are intended to increase our faith, to increase our faith, to grow from faith to faith. Romans 1.17, from less faith to more faith, Romans 1.17, or from less glory to more glory in 2 Corinthians 3.18. This passage is one such passage. The whole incident is one such incident. But let's now focus on 17 to 29, where Christ declares that he is the resurrection and the life. Verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days. No surprise to Christ. Even when later Martha tells him in verse 39, he has been dead four days and there will be a stench, the body, the corpse of Lazarus will be very smelly and hard to stand there next to him because of that. Jesus knew all of that. He finds, it says, that, the, that he had already been in the tomb these four days. It's a figure of speech in verse 17 that Christ found that he was already in the tomb four days. It's just a figure of speech to show that Jesus encountered Lazarus that way. Then verse 18. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Remember, this town or village of Bethany was not far from Jerusalem, under two miles in distance. That means that Jesus could have gone immediately a few days before to go deliver Lazarus from his sickness to death. But he didn't on purpose. This also shows that the Jews who were in Jerusalem and even the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests, all of those who knew Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they too had a short distance to go and they did go, as we find later in our chapter. They actually did go to the house to console to comfort the sisters of Lazarus. Not far at all. So this major incident 
two miles away from Jerusalem would be a memorable incident just several days later to remind the people that Jesus himself will rise from the dead. And when he does rise from the dead, they shouldn't be surprised about that because he raised Lazarus up from the dead shortly before. And as well, he raised others up from the dead. He raised up Jairus' daughter. He raised up the uh, widow of Nain's son. He raised up others like that from the dead. And even then, it shouldn't be a surprise to the people because of Old Testament passages which also speak of resurrection. So then, verse 19, many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. This would be natural and good for those neighbors, those acquainted with them, friends and relatives, whoever to console the survivors when the deceased have passed away. This is what everyone does. Everyone with an ounce of humanity does this kind of thing. These Jews, though they were unbelievers, some of them were unbelievers, they still had some humanity in them, some common grace in them, enough to go and console the survivors, Mary and Martha. This should not surprise us. Many unbelievers do so. Now, if unbelievers do so, Shouldn't believers do so even more? Shouldn't believers be conscientious of the hardships and the afflictions of other believers? So then let us do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Galatians 6.10 Especially believers should be doing these things, consoling those who have lost their loved ones. Verse 20, Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary still sat in the house. Martha and Mary. Martha went to meet Jesus because someone had informed her that he was coming. Mary stays in the house. Why in the house? Because all the Jews are there. Somebody needs to stay there. And this is where she stays. And later, when Martha returns, then Mary does go to meet Jesus outside of the house. Why would it be that Martha would go and not announce it to everyone? Presumably, this was a secret announcement to Martha, just as it was a secret announcement to Mary from Martha. Because it says in verse 28, called Mary her sister, saying secretly, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. Why is Martha secretly leaving, finding Christ on the way to her house? And why is Mary going secretly at that point? Presumably because of the threat of arousing a mob because they shortly before this wanted to kill Jesus in this locality, in the locality of Jerusalem. And Bethany is not far from that. Perhaps it is for that reason that they go one by one and they go in secret to go meet Christ. 
to make sure that when he actually does have access to Lazarus, there aren't too many of those Jews there, and even the most malicious among them, who perhaps are still in Jerusalem, might not come and try to put Christ to death. Further now, we see in verse 21, Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. This Martha is expressing faith. She is expressing faith. Some interpreters take her as being kind of on the fence, not exactly expressing faith. Perhaps a little bit, but I think she is more expressing faith than not. Because she says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Of course she knows Jesus doesn't have to be present whenever he performs a miracle. She knows that because many other incidents had occurred before whenever Jesus was not physically present, right? Enough incidents did occur that she knew or would have known about that. And even in 22, she says, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So she knew even after the fact, whatever you ask, God will answer. Not only did Martha say this, we notice that in verse 32, Mary um, said the same. Verse 32, Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And also in verse 37, verse 37, the unbelieving Jews, but some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? Yes, that could have happened. Of course it could have. But there's a reason. If God has the power to prevent evil from happening and he does not do it, are we to blame God? No. We are to trust God, have faith in him, and not blame him for what he doesn't do according to our whims and according to our wisdom. Trust him. Verse 23. Verse 23. Here, Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Christ here intimates, he implies, he's perhaps being um, using a, a, a double form of speech, which means he not only meant that Lazarus would rise from the dead now because I'm about to raise him up, but also as a type or a type or, or as an example of the final resurrection. What I'm doing for Lazarus, what I'm about to do for Lazarus will also be in the resurrection to come. Now, in Martha's case, Martha says in verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She took Christ to mean, shall rise again means, on the day of resurrection, that's when my brother 
will rise again. That's the way she, she took it. She's not wrong in that that fact will happen. She's not wrong. She just didn't know or expect Christ to do it in the case of her brother then and there. That's what she didn't expect. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. He will rise again, but Christ now brings attention to himself. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection in which you hope, Martha, in the day to come, has to do with me. The life that you want, the eternal life that you want, Martha, has to do with me. If one doesn't believe in me, who is the resurrection, the supreme resurrection, the perfect resurrection, the source of resurrection, the God of resurrection, if you don't believe in me, and then there is no resurrection. If you don't believe in me, there's no life, no eternal life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Shall live even if he dies. What did he mean? You shall live forever in a resurrected life even if you die physically. If you believe in me, you shall have an eternal resurrected life with Christ forever, even if you die. 26. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Everyone who lives and believes in me. Everyone who lives physically and believes in me shall never die spiritually. No eternal death. No hell. No lake of fire. No eternal punishment. That kind of death will never be experienced. Now, this expression is certainly unique to our Lord Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The expression is unique to Christ. But is the truth unique to Christ at this point? Are the truths that he's explaining by this expression unique or for the first time in those words? Yes or no? The answer is no. The answer is no. Jesus says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Well, already she said she believes it in verse 24. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She already expressed faith in that. She already believed it. Christ, after he explains who he is in relation to death and resurrection, do you believe this? Why would he ask her that? He's asking her that in order to increase her faith. Just like we saw in verse 15, 
so that you may believe. He wants his disciples to believe even more, even though his disciples already believe. To believe even more. And even in John chapter 11, John chapter 11, when Jesus is speaking, he says in verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, she already believed. And even then, she will tell us that she believes in verse 27. Martha already believes. Verse 27, she said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed. So, so she already believes in Christ. She already believes in the truths of the Old Testament. She already believes in the gospel. I have believed. But he wants her faith to grow. I have believed. And what did she say? What did she believe? That you are the Christ. The Christ or the Messiah. And this word Christ comes from into English from Greek. The word Messiah comes into English from Hebrew. Both words, Hebrew and Greek, Messiah and Christ, mean anointed one. The anointed one. Anointed with the anointing oil because God has set apart this one individual, Jesus, one individual to be our eternal, ultimate prophet, priest, and king. That's why Christ is called Christ. He is our prophet, priest, and king. Because the men of the Old Testament who were installed to office as prophet, priest, and king, they were anointed with oil representing the work of the Spirit in them to fulfill their duties. And this way, she is saying, she knows he is the Christ. Not just any Christ, not just any anointed prophet, any anointed king for office, but the ultimate one, the eternal one, the perfect one, the one sent from heaven. She's saying here that she knows that. She knows it already. She also says she knows he is the son of God. We said he comes from heaven. Whoever comes from heaven is greater than he who is from the earth. We are of the earth. We are from below. He is from above. He is from heaven. Therefore, he is greater than we are. She knows that because he's coming from heaven, he is the son of God. She knows it. She uses that phrase, son of God. In the Bible, the son of God, or only begotten son of God, like John 118, John 316, only begotten Son of God means this unique Son has the nature of God. He is divine. He has deity. Just as when he's called Son of Man means he has the nature of man. He has a human nature, a perfect human nature. She knows this. Martha knows this. That he's the Son of God. Further, she says, that is, namely, he who comes into the world. 
He comes into the world. From where did He come into the world? From heaven. He comes into the world in order to accomplish a perfect life, a spotless, perfect Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world on the cross and then to rise from the dead for our salvation. All of that. She knows that He who comes into the world. This is a a figure or this is an expression that is based on the Old Testament that there is indeed He who comes into the world. And that was well known to be a reference to the coming Christ. The coming Christ. Verse 28. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. She goes and tells her sister. So her sister might also have a foretaste and some knowledge of what was needed for her to be assured that Jesus also cared for her as she cared for, as he cared for Martha. And in the same way, he indeed cares for Lazarus. And verse 29, and when she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Mary responds quickly to go to Christ. Quickly. Every opportunity to know Christ, to be with Christ, to hear the word of Christ, Mary wanted that. You may recall, there was an incident earlier in the book of Luke, Luke 10, 38 to 42. Luke 10, 38 to 42. One day, Jesus was in the house of Mary and Martha. And he was teaching them. Mary was eagerly at the feet of Christ. Mary was eagerly hearing the doctrine, hearing the truth from Christ. Martha was worried and bothered about the preparations. And in her anxiety, she confronts Christ and even accuses him of sin by saying, don't you care? Don't you care? She says, don't you care? So that's accusing Jesus of sin, not caring for her and the situation. Do you not care? She has left me, my sister Mary has left me with all the preparations to handle them alone. She complains to Christ. What was Martha's problem? She didn't want to focus on the word of Christ. She didn't think in terms of Christ. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. She was more focused on the physical preparations and sinfully anxious about those physical preparations when the spiritual food was more important. Nobody was going to faint. Nobody was famished. Nobody was going to die in that house. The food preparations could take a little bit longer. It's okay. No worries. So, Martha seems to have learned from that because she went first to go see Christ to see Christ, not for food, but to see Christ. And Mary, she continues with her 
character of wanting to be with Christ because once she was informed, she arose quickly. She was not slow of feet to be in the presence of her Lord and Savior. Well, there are a couple of things here to highlight. The main issue or the main topic I want to highlight and then maybe a couple of subpoints from that. Mary and Martha and Lazarus, as far as we know, they were not priests. They were not prophets. They were not religious teachers. They were not scribes. They were not Pharisees. They were not even the daughters of priests and prophets. They were not in those situations. Their upbringing was lowly. It was common. It was nothing that deserved notoriety, as far as we know. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. That's the way they were. Now, if they were among the common people, then what is it that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus knew? Which we know from the words of Martha in verse 24 and 27. What did she know? And Jesus, he focuses on what she knew in verses 25 to 26 when he reiterates that all salvation, all eternal life, all forgiveness of sins, all hope of glory, all resurrection is founded on him. It's based on him. How did these three lowly people know this? How did they know this? Did they know this based on the New Testament? Or did they know this based on the ministry of John, Jesus, and the apostles? Or did they know this based on the Old Testament? And mainly or exclusively the Old Testament. On what basis did they know this? Well, they didn't know it based on Christ and the apostles primarily or exclusively. They didn't know this based on that because she is in verse 27 using these expressions that we know are founded on the Old Testament. Even when in the New Testament these words and phrases are used, they first appear in the Old. They first appear in the Old. So let's see in the Old Testament where these kinds of words and phrases are found. Even on the lips of women, and even on the lips of women of no reputation. Let's find that this is the case. Not, not exclusively women, but we will find that these are there in the Old Testament, whether a knowledgeable one or an educated one in formal education or uneducated, whether man or woman, these expressions, these phrases are based on the Old Testament. 
That's why Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Because that's based on the Old Testament. Verse 27. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, that is, he who comes into the world. All of that based on the Old Testament. And why is it we need to do this? Because most people think, when they read the Bible, that nobody knew these things with such conviction, such clarity in the Old Testament. They didn't know about Christ. They say the word Christ is absent. The word son or phrase son of God, the concept of the son being of God is absent from the Old Testament. They didn't know that someone would descend from heaven, the Christ would descend from heaven and come into the world. Many, many interpreters, false interpreters, teach that. And they teach it so that there can be many ways of salvation. So that there does not, there does not have to be one way of godly living. They teach it for those reasons. They teach it so that God's grace can become licentiousness and they can deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. But we will not succumb to that if we understand that the Bible is a unity. The Bible is harmonious. The Bible is the same in the way of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. Let's see it now with this concept. Firstly, the belief in resurrection from the dead. The belief in resurrection from the dead. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Why did the saints of the Old Testament bury their dead? Why did they bury their dead instead of burning them? Because some peoples, some nations would burn them to death once they were dead, they would burn the dead bodies. The corpses would be burned or cremated. That's what many people would do. But why did the saints of the Old Testament, the Christians of the Old Testament, not do so? We see an example of this. Genesis 49, 28. 49, 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them. He blessed them, every one with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he charged them and said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of, uh, in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heth. When Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. In 29 and 33, it says he's gathered to his people. How could he be gathered to his people when the wife that he loved the most, Rachel, is not there in that cave. 
She died and she was buried near Bethlehem. Not buried here. Genesis 35 describes that. She's not here. So when he was gathered, why was he gathered and where did he go? He went to be with the other saints. Abraham, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, like that. And then why were all of these people buried? You see, when one is buried, it's a picture of faith. It's, it's a demonstration of faith. The picture is they look like they are asleep, but one day they will rise from the dead. Like it happened with Lazarus and like it happens with all of us. When we die, we are horizontally placed. Our corpse is placed and we are put in a tomb. We're put in a coffin and then in a tomb, right? In a place of burial. We're put there because of faith in resurrection. That's why. Moses, in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 34. It describes in the first paragraph, Deuteronomy 34, 1 to 8, that Moses, what happened to him right before he died and what happened at his death. We pick it up at verse 6. Who buried Moses and why? And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no man knows his burial place to this day. No man knows his burial place to this day. That means even Joshua, his right-hand man, his servant, Joshua, did not know the burial place of Moses. Correct? So who buried him? The he of verse 6 is God. God buried Moses. Well, why did God bury Moses? Because God believes in burial, not cremation. So God buried Moses. And why bury Moses? Because of the faith in the gospel and the gospel of resurrection. That's why God did so. Then we also have incidents, several incidents in the Old Testament, uh, at least uh, four, uh, th- three, three more incidents. First Kings chapter 17, Second Kings chapter 4, and Second Kings 13. Just for reference sake, First Kings 17, Second Kings 4, Second Kings 13. These three incidents, we have two boys and a man raised from the dead. Two boys and a man raised from the dead. Why? Why raise them up from the dead? In fact, it's by the prophets of God that this happens. So if it's by the prophets of God, what did these prophets believe? and teach the people. In 1 Kings 17, we have a poor woman. In 1 Kings 17, we have a poor widow. In 2 Kings 4, we also have a woman, an old woman, not a prominent one, just like in 1 Kings 17, not a prominent one, who experiences resurrection. Their sons were raised. So these women, what were they taught? In 1 Kings 17, they have Elijah to teach them. In 2 Kings 4, they have Elisha to teach them. 
Just because it doesn't tell us every single word communicated doesn't mean that those women and their families did not learn about resurrection. They experienced it with their very eyes. And now this. Okay, now Job. Job chapter 19. Job chapter 19. What did Job know about resurrection? And we're going to see that even Job connects it to Christ. Job connects his own resurrection to the resurrection of Christ. And Job speaks of it happening on the last day, like Martha said, on the last day. Job 19, 25. Job 19, 25. And as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, He will take His stand on the earth. If, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes shall see and not another. My heart faints within me. He says he knows his Redeemer lives. He knows that his Redeemer on the last day will stand on the earth. And even when he dies, verse 26, even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. He believed in the resurrection of his flesh, his own flesh and his own bones. Job did all of that. He believed. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 to 3. Daniel 12, 2 to 3. This will include resurrection of wicked people. Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel the prophet preaches the resurrection of eternal life and eternal contempt which is punishment both of them and how will this happen they will rise from the ground it's resurrection because it's from the ground now what about Jesus Christ being the central focus of this we saw some of that in Job let's continue with that in Psalm 2 Psalm 2, Christ, the resurrection, and the life. We'll need to hear, keep our place in the Psalms, and compare it with the book of Acts. All right? So first is Psalm 2. Psalm 2, verse 7. Psalm 2, verse 7. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Therefore, 
Now take, um, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O sons of the earth, or judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, lest he become angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Verse 7, who is speaking? We know David is writing, but who is speaking? Who all are speaking? I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, who is the I? Who is the me? Who is the my son? All the same person. I, me, my son, and I have begotten you. All the same. The you, my son, me, and I, in verse 7, all the same. Who is the Lord? Who is the he of he said? Who is the you of you are my son? I'm sorry. Um, Yes, who is the speaker of you are my son? It is the Father. And who is uh, the I of I have begotten you? The I is the Father. So this here is a dialogue between the Father and the Son. God the Father and God the Son. We know that the Son is the Son of God because he says, you are my Son. Look also at verse 12. The Son. The Son is the one who will rule the nations. He's so powerful that he will have kings and judges submit to him. He's also so powerful and worthy that people should take refuge in him, verse 12 says. This is not David. It's the Son of God. And in verse 7, Today I have begotten you. What does that mean? Today I have begotten you. Turn to Acts 13. Acts 13. Acts 13. And we begin at verse 32. 13, 32. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. That phrase, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That the father begot the son has reference to raising him up from the dead. It has to do with the father raising up Jesus, his son, up from the dead. Paul says that when he quotes Psalm 2, verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no more to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. What are the holy and sure blessings of David? Resurrection, which is a quote of Isaiah 55, 3. Further, 35. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay, which is what we read earlier in the service, Psalm 16, 9 to 11. Who is this one who will not undergo decay? 
Christ, according to the apostle here from Psalm 16. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. David underwent decay. So in Psalm 16, David's not talking about himself. He's talking about Christ. Furthermore, people say the word Christ was started in the New Testament. No, it's not the case. The word Christ or Messiah not started in the New Testament. For example, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, 9, 25. This paragraph, this last paragraph in Daniel 9 has to do with the coming of Christ in the world and what he will do. But notice what the Bible says here. Daniel 9, 25 and 26. Remember, the word Christ and the word Messiah are one and the same. Just two words to describe the same person, Jesus, right? So, verse 25, it says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, or we could say Christ the Prince, Christ the King, there will be 70 weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Christ, the Messiah, will be cut off and have nothing. Means he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. The Christ, Daniel says, or the Messiah, the same person. We're talking about the same individual. So, these are examples of the word Christ and resurrection in the Old Testament. But did the, the people of the Old Testament, even the common people, believe it? Yes. The common people believed it. That's why Mary and Martha and Lazarus believed it. And when Christ and John the Baptist came preaching, they knew that imminently their salvation was about to be accomplished with Jesus coming to die and rise again for them. That's what we learn. The Bible, one way of salvation, one gospel. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Let's pray.